Great to have them with us. Uh, Paul began the ministry of Pays in 1992, and uh, it's been a, a, an emerging ministry, and there are now Pays members in many countries in the world. And it's just a great joy as we're a Pays church, you see. Yes. And uh, it's a great joy to have both Paul and Lynn with us, and a great welcome from from Rivers, please come and share with us. Let's give Paul a great welcome. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Hey, good evening. So um, the, the thing with me speaking like this is kind of cool because because I'm in, you okay? Was that difficult? Was it? <laughs> um, because I'm English, um, I'm going to speak today on hearing God's voice. Basically, it's dead simple. He sounds like this. So uh, we could just finish there, but we're going to kind of move on a little bit. So um, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm 53 years old, uh, from Manchester, born in London, uh, grew up in Manchester, moved to Texas 13 years ago. I have um, two children, Joel and Levi, and one wife, and her name is the Foxy Lynn. Everybody say hello to the Foxy Lynn. Everybody go, wit woo, one, two, three. Yes, okay. So uh, Lynn and I have been uh, married um, for a long time. So this month we, we uh, celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, which is a long time, okay? Thank you. So I want you to imagine this. Imagine one day, we've been married 30 years, so we know each other fairly well. Imagine one day I go downstairs and Lynn is watching the TV with the remote control. Now, I know you're thinking that's heresy because that's a man's object, but she controversial she's holding the remote control and uh, she's flicking through the channels and uh, she's flicking through these different channels uh, and then she, she gives them to me and I start flicking through the channels and, and I, I go past and and uh, one of the channels is um, one of those kind of uh, love it or list it programs where they decide to either get rid of their house or do their house up and make it nice another one is a cookery program and the third one is England playing Germany and losing on penalties Okay, those three things are happening, all right? On TV, as I flick through them, Lynn goes up, gets a cup of tea, Lynn comes back, and I think, what would Lynn like to watch most? Would it be the cookery program, the fixing up the house program, or would it be the football program? Wouldn't it be weird if I did this? Well, well okay, married 30 years, but I need a sign. So if she sits down and scratches her left ear, I know she wants to watch the cookery program. But if she sits down and crosses her right leg, I know she wants to watch the house program. But if she sits down and scratches her bottom, I know she wants to watch the football program. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? I've married her. I've known her for 30 years. I know that she wants to watch the cookery or the house program. Obviously, we're going to still watch the football. But at least I know. No, but I know. That'd be a crazy thing to do. Wouldn't it? And yet, that's what we do with God all the time. Some of us have so unsure about God's direction, so little of that relationship sometimes that we have to ask him for signs when God actually gives us choices. And what we're going to look at tonight is the strange ways in which sometimes God helps us understand his direction in our life. And one of the ways God helps us is by giving us a really good question. It's a question that Jesus implied. Because some of us, we, had bad, we ask what I consider to be, and you can disagree, 
bad questions like, Lord, where should I go? And Lord, what should I do? And if I do this, is that okay? Can you send me a sign? If I do that, is it okay? Can you send me a sign? Now, God's gracious, and so he listens to our signs, and often he joins in. But I think there's a better way. And the better way starts by looking at another person who went on a journey with God. In fact, the first ever pilgrim, his name was Abraham. What's interesting about Abraham is this, is that God changes his name. So it says this in this passage. Genesis 17, verse 5. No longer will you be called Abram. This is once Abram's been on the journey with God, discovering God, getting to know God. Your name will now be Abraham, for I've made you a father of nations. So what happens, and I'll just put this uh, maybe on the screen for you, or on the board I should say for you, is that God takes a letter from his own name and adds it to Abraham's name, making him Abraham. God attached initial from the divine name because Abraham's journey was now bound to God's journey. In other words, through the process, God's dream had slowly become Abraham's dream. And Abraham didn't need quite as much as he did before signs because he just knew what was in God's heart. How cool would it be if you just knew what was in God's heart? If you had choices and you had a question that helped you discover God's direction for your life without you needing a sign every five minutes. Wouldn't it be great if you were kind of like married or bonded with God in that way? So uh, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at that and we're going to look at the better question. The better question that I like to ask is this. What is the most effective thing I can do to advance the kingdom of God. What's the most effective thing I can do to advance the kingdom of God? So, um, Billy Graham died um, this week, didn't he? And uh, one of Billy Graham's phrases was that there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us that only God can fill. Okay, I'm no Billy Graham, but I'm going to make a suggestion. Well, that's half the truth. I believe there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us that even God can't fill in this life. So the Bible says that God has put eternity, eternal purposes in your heart. God has put dreams in your heart that will only be fulfilled one day in eternity. That's why even as a Christian, you're still chasing things. Because there's something in you that even won't be fulfilled in this life. doesn't mean you can't be satisfied in this life, because the satisfaction comes from chasing and pursuing the things that God has put in your heart. But every one of us in this room, God has put something of eternal consequence in our life. And that's why there's that thing that's missing. One day, it will be fulfilled in eternity. And God wants us to be asking that question, what can I most do to advance your kingdom? But that question, if we're honest, is not natural to us, is it? How many of you think that's, that's, oh yeah, I wake up every morning thinking, Lord, what can I most do to advance your kingdom? It's not natural. It's not the first thing that comes into our minds, is it? There's lots of other things that come. So how does God help that question become natural to you? How is God going to help you know what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go? 
Well, the answer is found in Romans 12. I'm just going to read this to you. You can turn to it in your Bibles if you'd like to. It's the first two verses of Romans 12. And I'm going to show you a diagram that's a little bit odd, but I think will help you. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, he says, as your mind changes, you're then going to know what God's will is. Now, that sounds easy, doesn't it? How does God change our minds? You know, for years, scientists said this verse was impossible. They said, once you thought a certain way, it's impossible for you to think any other way. Recently, more recently, there's been this whole science of neuroplasticity. Sounds posh. But basically it means this verse is absolutely correct. God can renew and change your thinking. So let me explain this because uh, it's kind of weird. The, br the brain is odd because it kind of grows backwards. So 40 days after your conception, so 40 days after your mum and dad did the business, you created your first neuron, your first brain cell. 42 days and you got your first brain cell. 120 days later, your brain experienced a growth spurt. And 120 days later, you had 100 billion of them. Aren't you clever? You had 100 billion brain cells. 60 days before your birth, your brain cells or neurons started to reach out to each other and connect with each other on a strand called an axion. And when they connected, it's called a synapse. And it creates a pathway of thought. So literally, in your brain, there are pathways of thought. And when an idea, when I speak, this is why when I speak, some of you think differently about what I'm saying. Some of you are thinking, that's good. Some of you are thinking, I don't understand what you're saying. Some of you are thinking, I don't like what you're saying. Because you've started to learn your pathways have got stronger over time. In fact, the more you think a certain way, the more you will think a certain way. So brain, brain cells, these pathways, are a bit like muscles. Okay? I don't have many muscles. But the more you exercise them, the more you think that way. So when a preacher preaches, and that, that idea drops in your brain, it will go the most strongest path. So you see this piece of cardboard? It's already, if you look at this, it's already got little ridges in it, hasn't it? So, get rid of so if I drop some water on here, it's going to hit there. Is it going to go left or right? Is it going to go down? Because it's going to get into one of those ridges, isn't it? So here's the interesting thing. You've got all these brain cells. At age three, you have 15,000 connections for every one of your 100 billion brain cells. And then, around about the age of three, your body starts to ignore some of them. So like, you know kids, if you've got, if you've got a kid brother or a kid sister or you've got a, a child... It's always, why, 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 why? Why does this happen? What's happening? Why can't I do that? Why can I do this? Because they're, they're like a sponge taking all this information. But if you did that for the rest of your life, it'd just be too much. Your main, mind would just explode. So eventually what happens is your mind starts to disregard certain brain cells. Who's 16 in this room? Anybody 16 in the room? Anybody 16 years old in this room? Somebody's nudging someone who's obviously 16. Who's 16 in this room? 
anybody? This young man here, what's your name? Jonathan, okay, thank you. At 16 years old, you've lost half of the pathways in your brain. In other words, at 16 years old, you literally only have half a brain. Well done, Jonathan. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. So although we have the potential for a broadband connection, although we have this potential for broadband, sometimes we have this dial-up. In other words, what happens is this. If you imagine these little brain pathways in your brain, the more you exercise some, the more you think that way, when an idea comes, you start to think that way more. If, you have, if you're like a bit rebellious toward God, then whatever drops in your mind, it's going to go on that pathway. And your, your mind starts to think one way stronger and stronger and not think other ways as strong. So if you've got a rebellious mindset and God's vision, God's purposes get dropped into your heart and mind, what's going to happen is you're going to resist. It's going to be hard. Uh, who, who remembers? Anybody here remember dial-up internet? Yeah, okay, even some of the young ones. Okay, so my dad was the last person on the planet with dial-up internet, I think. Like three years ago, he still had dial-up. Who has dial-up internet? Three, unbelievable. So broadband, you know what happens. You click on wireless, and you're on the internet, and you can watch movies. You can watch Netflix. It's great. Years ago, for those who don't know, what would happen is you'd go on the internet, you'd dial a number, go, dee 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 and what's happening is your computer's trying to reach, reach out to the internet, okay? And maybe it connects and maybe it wouldn't. If it connected, you would get a picture. It'd take 20 minutes to load, but you would get a picture, okay? And it would take a long time. Some of us, that's what we're like hearing God's direction. We're trying to hear God's direction because our brain doesn't automatically connect that way. We... Uh, that, that's the, our, our brains connect. It's like a self pathway is strong and our kingdom pathway is weak. So is that the end of the story? That would be sad if it is. No, because this passage talks about patterns. There's another verse in the Bible that talks about patterns. It's in Philippians. It says this. Philippians 3 verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave to you. So the word pattern here is interesting. Uh, it actually, uh, a Greek word means tupos. And tupos means this. A stamp, a scar, a shape, something that is made by repeated blows. So in other words, God will speak and wants to create a different pattern that's different from the normal ones. And you'll hear something. And if you obey it, it will be really, really awkward to obey. It would be really difficult because it goes against the way you normally think. In fact, I was just reading a verse before about taking captive every thought. But then if you keep doing that, gradually what happens, you keep hearing, you keep obeying. What happens is literally your brain is renewed and new pathways are cut in your mind. And then when God says to you something... When God gives you an idea where you hear preachers speak or when the Holy Spirit speaks to you or when the Bible says something to you, suddenly that new pathway becomes stronger. Does that make sense? So some people say the Bible doesn't have any science in it. The Bible has science in it before we had scientists. And literally, this is what God does. He's wanting to work with you to create in you a new pathway so you can understand and know what God's will is for your life. 
a bit like me and Lynn being married for 30 years and pretty much knowing each other really, really well now. We can watch TV. We know what each other's thinking. We know where somebody would want to go. Where you know, I know what food Lynn would like. I was at a restaurant recently and said to Lynn, "Hey, she wasn't sure what to have." I said, "You'll like that." She ate it. She loved it. We just know each other. Thirty years. It's pretty cool. Be great to be like that with God, wouldn't it? So God has these patterns. The word pattern means something designed or used as a model for making things. So I want to talk to you tonight, just briefly about a kingdom pattern and this kingdom's pri- pri- uh, sorry this kingdom pattern's pretty cool because this kingdom pattern is designed to make his dream come true in your life so here's here's a couple of mistakes i think we make when we think about god's direction in our life okay so we get a, let's say we get a dream here let me use orange it's brighter so let's say we get a dream here Two mistakes. First of all, God tells us something and we automatically attach what God actually says to us to the nearest thing we know that looks like that. So I remember somebody once saying to me, I'm going to work with this particular organization. I'm going to go to Africa and work with this particular organization. God's told me. I said, well, that's very specific. That's really interesting. How did God tell you to go to Africa and work with this particular nation? And she said, well, God told me I was going to be a healer in Africa. I said, that's cool, but why does that mean you're going to do this? And she said, well, I don't know, but that's the nearest thing I could think about what God said. And sometimes we rush into things too quick. The second mistake we, we make is this. We think if this is the dream, and this is, if you like, the destiny that God has put in our hearts, we kind of feel as though the path is going to look like this. It's going to be really simple and really straightforward. So God says to you, you're going to be a healer. I'm going to use you to bring healing. And you think, oh, that must mean I'm a doctor. I need to go to um, doctor college. <laughs> Medical school. <laughs> you're very rude. Anyway. <laughs> and we think it's going to be simple and it's going to be really, really straight. In actual fact, things don't happen the way we think. So Psalm 18 says this. Um, Psalm 18 says this, you stoop down to make me great. You broaden my path beneath me so my ankles will not turn over. In other words, God will make a broad path so you don't stumble and fall. Your ankles don't turn over. Uh, If you do any hill walking or mountain climbing, I've done some fell walking, sometimes on those little narrow paths and and they've got lots of stones on them, you're often twisting your ankle, you can't walk, you're falling over. It can be pretty difficult. God's going to flatten and widen the path. What does that look like? Well, it looks a bit like this. God gives you a dream, and in reality, this happens. As time goes by, he broadens your experiences. You think you're going to go from here to straight to here, and actually all these weird and crazy things start happening to you. So God told me that I was going to be involved in missions work. I automatically thought that meant God meant, I thought, well, that, was, oh, that means I'm going to be a missionary. So I went to train to be a missionary. I got it wrong. 
It turns out God wasn't calling me to be a missionary. He was calling me to make missionaries. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought, oh, here's the dream. It's missions, it's missions. I'm going to be a missionary. It wasn't. God's called me to be, make missionaries. And so what he did was suddenly made my path go like that. The next thing I was working at um, a retail store. So I started work when I was a full-time work when I was 17 years old. And I, I couldn't understand why. I was doing this job and God wanted me to keep doing this job. And at 17 years old, I wore, I was dead skinny, like really, really, really skinny. I had a blazer that was three times too big for me. And my job was to walk into different stores when the manager was sick or on vacation and take over the store at 17 years old. Crazy. So a guy, we had carpet stores, to the firm I worked for. We had retail uh, food stores. We had um, all sorts of different shops. And every two weeks, I'd get a phone call, go to Rochdale, go to Oldham, go to Failsworth, all these places within Greater Manchester. That's key, you'll see in a minute. And I went to probably about 20 or 30 different places, and I would walk in, and all these people would look at me and go, hi, who are you? And I'd say, I'm your new boss for two weeks. <laughs> In fact, I cut my hair once, and it was so bad, my hair cut, that um, I walked in, and the security people contacted the police because they thought I was the thief. Actually, I was their new manager. It was really awkward, really awkward. I thought, why has this happened? Why has this happened? And then, and then when, I, when I finally went to go and train to be a missionary, because I thought I was going to be a missionary, God told me to go back to Manchester, he started giving me all these weird, bizarre jobs. Really weird, bizarre jobs. One of the most boring things I had to do was I had to listen to my pastor. He would go to meetings, Assemblies of God uh, business meetings. Pastor David knows how boring those can be. And he would come back and he would dictate to me what happened in the meetings. I had to make notes for all the pastors. It was like, it was, it was just a horrible thing to do. I hated it. Sometimes I would go and visit old people, all right? Like probably my age now, but they were old people. I remember one guy asking me to pray for him and he would do things like, I've got, I've got, I've got a problem on my bottom and so I don't want to, can you pray for me? I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. I want to be a missionary. God's called me to be a missionary in Africa. Why am I doing all these weird and bizarre things? They did not make any kind of sense to me. Then four years later, Something weird happened. Things changed. And suddenly the things I found myself doing fitted more in to what God had called me to do. This took years. And suddenly I realized something. All these weird and wonderful things I didn't understand, all these things I was getting involved in, God was causing me to do, I actually really, really helped me here. The first time I started to do in schools work, I had to go all around Manchester working with all these different schools. And the fact that I'd been a manager in all these stores showed me how to get to all these different schools. I had to go into schools and work with staff. The fact that I'd spent four years of my life working with people of all sorts of different ages and sometimes just turning up and having to get people together into a team in two weeks and do something productive massively helped me. It was really, really, really weird. The, the, the stuff I'd done back at church for my pastor made sense because going around the world now setting up charities, I need to understand how charities work. In that crazy time, I spent two years with our leaders setting up a charity. I didn't know why I was doing that. I think that's going to happen to some of you guys. You're going to get a dream, and what's going to happen is you're going to think, I know what it's like. Can I encourage you? Don't jump to conclusions too quick. 
Don't decide. God said this, therefore it must be this. Wait and go on the journey with God. See what God gives you to do and be faithful in the moment with what God has given you. And you'll be surprised that actually his dream for you is much, much bigger than the, the conclusion you jump to. Probably the best person to understand this uh, is a guy called Joseph. How many of you know the story of Joseph? How many of you don't know the story of Joseph? Okay, a few of you. Okay, so here's what happens. Let me just go through this and see if you can guess where, if I get a volunteer. Who would like to be my volunteer? Somebody who's about 20 years old. 18, 20. Who'd like to volunteer? Okay. Uh, oh, you're on pays. So no, let's have somebody who's not on pays, okay? Somebody, somebody from the church who's not on pays. Who, who are we saying? Josh? Can we give Josh a round of applause? Okay, Josh. What I'm going to do, mate. Who are you? Dan, have you just stormed the stage or something? Or what's happened there, Dan? Oh, we did put you in the back. There you go, mate. Hold up that. Okay, here's what's going to happen, uh, Josh. I'm going to see if you can get... What's your name? Dan? Are you sure? Okay. Okay, okay. Here's what we're going to do, Dan. He says his name is Dan. We're going to go with it for now, okay? We're going to go with Dan for now, okay? So here's what happens. I want you to guess where you think on that diagram Joseph is in the story that I'm going to, about to tell you, okay? So number one, it says this in Genesis 37. Uh, he gets a dream, okay? And this is what it says. He said to his family, listen to this dream I just had. We were binding sheaves together of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf, my grain rose up, my wheat rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So he's basically saying, one day I'm going to be someone special and you're going to bow down to me. That's what he says. Where do you think he is on that diagram, do you think? Just put an X. Who would agree with him? I would agree with him. Okay. Then, this is what happens next. Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to others for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. So, shortly after the dream, he's sold into slavery. Where do you think he is now? Dead right. He's like... Hang on a minute. I thought I was going to be like, what? I'm now, I thought I was going to be like someone great. I've just been sold by my brothers into slavery. And then he's bought by an officer of Pharaoh. He's bought by an officer of Pharaoh. God prospers him. He puts him in charge of his household. So he's a slave, but he does it so well. He learns how to organize things so well. He's put him in charge of Potiphar's household. And he's prospered. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Then, this is a bit X-rated, so be careful with this, okay? Genesis 39, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her because she lied and told her husband that Joseph had um, come on to her. Actually, she'd come on to him. She grabbed him, his clothes had come off, and he'd run away naked. Okay, so what happens is Potiphar reports him, he gets put in prison. Now he's in prison. Where do you think he is? Pretty far away from God, wouldn't you say? Pretty far away from God. He's now in prison. Clear, Joseph is clearly somewhere in the bottom half of the diamond of growth. Apparently, moving further and further away from the vision he had received. I wonder how desperate he must have felt. 
How, how desperate would you felt? Like you feel God's spoken to you. What are the questions going through your mind? Did I really hear God? Yeah. Has God, have I done something wrong? Was that the plan and now God's decided, nah, I'm not interested anymore. What's happened? What's going on here? I reckon he would have felt lonely. I would have felt he felt forgotten. Probably most of all, he'd have felt confused. Genesis 39, and this is a big story, so I can't read the whole story to you. He's prospered by God. And then in Genesis 40, something weird happens. So he's a dreamer, okay? He has these dreams, and he has dreams for himself. He tells his family these dreams. And then what happens here is suddenly um, a cupbearer and a baker have a dream. So his fellow prisoners have dreams. And the cupbearer gives him a dream, and a baker gives him a dream, and he kind of interprets the dream. And uh, he says to the baker, you're going to die. And he says to the cupbearer, you're going to live. And that's what happens. The baker dies, the cupbearer lives. And he says to the cupbearer, when, you, when you're raised up and when you're put back into service with the king, tell the king how great I am and tell him about my dreams. And guess what the cupbearer does? Forgets. He forgets. So he interprets these dreams. These guy, one dies, one lives, works for the pharaoh, completely forgets. Joseph. Where do you think Joseph feels now? Okay, interesting. Controversial, but interesting. <laughs> Not what I was expecting, but good. Okay. Suddenly, the cupbearer remembers. Suddenly, on a dime, out of nowhere, he suddenly gets news. The cupbearer is remembered because the pharaohs had dreams, and the pharaohs asked this slave, Joseph, to go in front of the king the Pharaoh. So Joseph is in front of the king. He interprets the king's dream and the king puts him in charge of his whole land. It's a pretty quick turnaround, isn't it? Where do you think he is now? He's someone pretty special. Okay, there. I would say he's somewhere here because what's happening now is he's suddenly, he thinks he's going to be someone special and suddenly he is. In fact, he's one of the, probably the second most powerful man in the world at that time. Then later on what happens, without going to the story, is his parents, his family come, needing food. They come and they stand before the king's man, Joseph, and they get on their knees and they bow down because they don't know who he is. It's a long story, but eventually he reveals himself. He reveals himself and these guys are on their knees bowing before him. Where do you think he is now? Absolutely. Give Dan, a.k.a. Josh, a round of applause. <laughs> What's happening here is Joseph is suddenly being given all these skills. He doesn't realize. He thinks one day I'm going to be so big, my family will bow down to him. He's wrong. He's going to be so big, he's going to be the second most powerful man in the world, and he's going to rescue his entire nation. That's pretty big. Much bigger than he thought. The God, dreams that God has for you are much bigger than the dream you have for yourself. But you have to go on the journey. You have to be faithful. Joseph was faithful in every way. And because of time, I won't go into this. But the Egyptians had ways of categorizing the different types of dreams you have. If you read the story, and I won't go into it because I want to bore you. Joseph grows in every single type of dream. In every single situation, even when he's in prison, God's teaching him how to interpret dreams. So that one day, when his moment comes, he's ready. In that moment, he's suddenly ready. All the way through this bottom half, God is teaching him how to organize things. First, his family. 
then this rich guy's household. Then he helps in the prison, organize the whole of the prison. God is training him. He's thinking, this is just going crazy wrong. But suddenly he realizes all these things that God was training him for was because God had a bigger purpose for him. Does that make sense? Here's the key. We have to stop trying and start training. And what Christians are often guilty of is we keep praying for God to give us opportunities. God, do something special. God, do something amazing. When God does it, we're not ready. The Welsh play, prayed for a revival in Wales. For years they prayed for a revival. About over 100 years ago, a massive revival broke out in Wales. Two years later, it was gone because they weren't ready for it. God moved and they weren't ready. They tried, but they hadn't been trained. And we need to go on a journey with God. So I'm going to go through a couple of things, a couple of tips as we kind of move towards the end. First of all, recognize a seed for what it is. A dream is just a dream. He was 16 years old when he got his vision and he was 30 when it actually happened. God doesn't hide things from you. He hides them for you when you're ready for them. It's a seed. The seed, if you get a seed, it doesn't look like a plant, taste like the plant or smell like the plant. It is the plant. And, and that's how God gives us visions. He'll say things to you, put things in your heart right now. Some of you, things in your heart right now, it, it doesn't look like what it's going to look like, but it has the clues or the hints of what that dream will be. Don't rush into it too quick. Some of you once had a dream for me. They said, Paul, it was so true. They said, Paul, you're like a little colt, a little baby horse. And you, 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 you're, being, you're tied up to a fence. And you see all the big horses playing in the field. And you want to go and play with them. But if you go and play with them now, you're going to get trampled to death. It was, I couldn't believe what they were saying. Because I'd been complaining to God. I'd been reading all these stories about these great missionaries. I wanted to go and be one there and then. If I had, the devil would have killed me. So I had to stay tied up. I had to be disciplined. Second thought, really quickly. Force an opportunity and you'll spoil a future possibility. Here's a baby who's been given a marker too soon. So when, uh, when I first started doing schools work, I had all these different ways of, of helping young people understand the gospel. I had lots of little object lessons and magic tricks. And one of my favorites was a little candle. Have you ever had those candles you put in a cake, you blow them out and they come back again? You know them? So I used to take them into school. I'd go into school, stand on a stage with my little candles and I'd go like this. I'd, um, I'd say, well, boys and girls, um, God's light, um, uh, God is light, and I'll turn on the candle and say, and shows me the way when things are dark. It, it warms me when I feel bad, and it and comforts me. But what if I sin? <gasps> God's love goes away. No, it doesn't. God's love will never go away. <laughs> but what if God finds someone better than me? He loves someone more than me. <gasps> God's love for me will go away. Oh, no, it won't. <laughs> this is the best part of the preach, isn't it? I can tell. So, so I, these, that was like, I was working with little kids, okay? So that was what I was doing. I used to pray all the time, God, make me someone of influence. Make me someone who makes a difference in this world. And then one day I got a phone call. Please come to Germany and speak to all the national directors of our denomination. Think, oh, wow. This is the moment. So I get on the plane, get off in Germany. They put me in a posh hotel. And I said to this bloke, I said, excuse me, I said, who are the other speakers? I need to know what they're talking on so we don't say the same things. And he says to me, you're the only speaker. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was a great reaction, thank you. There's 200, there's 200, youth, 200 youth leaders and you're the only speaker. I'm thinking, okay, pretend that's cool. Done it before, I haven't done it before. That, that's cool. All right, come here. the way I roll, that's fine. I get in the meeting and they give me this interpreter because this guy's German, so he's speaking in foreign. So he's speaking in foreign and the interpreter's telling me like, all the things that are going to happen and then the interpreter gets really bored because he's talking about health and safety. And then suddenly... Everyone in the room starts looking at me like this. Some people are like looking at me. I'm sat there and everyone's like looking at me. I'm like, this is a bit weird. Like, what's happened? So I'm like, okay, just be cool. And when they stopped, I turned to my interpreter and said, what's he just said? And my interpreter said, I always remember, my interpreter said, oh, he's just said that he believes that everything in German youth work in the last 10 years has failed. And what God has told him that at this conference, he's going to give us the vision for German youth work for the future. I think oh, that's cool. But I'm the only speaker. <laughs> and I've got my magic candle. <laughs> it was an absolute train wreck. I thought, this is terrible. And what happened was I'd been playing for influence. God, give me influence, but I hadn't been training. I'd just been praying, God, God, give me a chance, give me an opportunity. But I hadn't been training. We have to understand if you force an opportunity, you'll spoil a future possibility. Never lose sight of what you've seen. So here's one of the problems with this. God's training us, and at some point we start to forget what God called us to. And we start making up our own kind of version. Well, maybe, maybe I got it wrong, maybe it's something else. And we, we just walk away on a different path. We kind of give up on the calling that God's put in your heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. At some point, it's going to come back to what God meant and it's all going to start to make sense. Everything that you've gone through is going to start to make sense. Let me give you one last thought on this. And I'm going to need a volunteer in a second. So, look for hints of your future in your history. Look for hints of your future in your history. So, um, when I was younger, uh, my mum was uh, quite a strong character and um, she had some kind of like funny ways about her. So, she would, like I, I was, my mum told me I had to work from the age of 12. So, I stopped getting pocket money at 11 years old. My first job was going around delivering leaflets for a carpet carpet factory. My second job was being a golf caddy. So I had to pull a bag or carry a bag. The bag was literally as big as me for four hours, every Saturday and every Sunday morning. So I had school Monday to Friday, Saturday morning I had to pull this golf bag, uh, Sunday I had to do the golf bag. When I was about 15, 16 years old, I got a job in a store. So Thursday night, Friday night and all day Saturday, I had to work. I used to hate it, like my, my mum, do I have to do this job? You're earning the value of money. You're earning the value of money. You need to be independent. You need to pay your own way. I'm like 13 years old. I remember one day when I was, when I was uh, fairly small, I went to Manchester, downtown Manchester, the city, and I lost my pocket, uh, sorry, I lost the money I'd earned to get my bus fare home. I had about half my bus fare. I phoned my mum up. Now, most mums would say, don't worry, darling, I'll come and get you, wouldn't they? My mum said, well, you should have lost your money. You've got to think about something creative now, haven't you? You've got to think of a creative way of getting out of this problem. Put the phone down on me. Now, now, nowadays, young people would say that was like parental abuse. She's just thinking, I want to help him. 
So what I did was I thought, what do I do? I had 10 pence, so I bought six postcards in a pack, opened the pack and sold them on the street for about 10 pence each. Made my bus fare, got home. So um, in my, when I was uh, in my early 20s, my mum passed away. She died. And uh, she'd worked as a nurse in a school for um, disabled children, um, physically and mentally disabled children. And they said, Mr. Gibbs, we'd like you to come because we're going to give out the first ever Doris Gibbs Award in honour of your mum. We're going to give out this award once, um, once a year. So I went to this place and uh, they say, in this assembly, they said, we're now going to give out the Doris Gibbs Award. Let, re let us remind you what the Doris Gibbs Award is all about. And then this woman starts to give this whole thing on. Everybody knows the philosophy of Doris Gibbs. Well, I didn't know anything about this. Doris Gibbs had this philosophy about helping people be empowered and empower others. And the award that year went to a little boy who at the beginning of the year couldn't dress himself, but could dress himself by the end of the year. And I suddenly realized this whole thing was because my mum had a philosophy about empowering people. Well, what do I do now? I make missionaries. Um, my middle name's Clayton. When you're a kid in Manchester, that's really embarrassing. I said to my mum, when I was about, I don't know, 14 years old, I said, mum, why did you call me Clayton? Why am I called Paul Clayton Gibbs? Now, my mum wasn't a Christian. Mum said to me, Paul, it's because one day, if you're ever on stage or you write a book. So in honor of my mum, the minute I first got on stage, and on all my books, it says Paul Clayton Gibbs. The hint of your future is in your history. Now, a lot of people, when you go to church, they'll say, let's forget your history, look forward. I would say, look at your history. There's a clue there. Bad and good. There are clues in your history. Some of the greatest, most compassionate people I know are people who've been through horrendous, terrible things. Horrendous things. But God has used that to give them compassion I could never feel for others who are going through the same thing. Can I encourage you? Be faithful on the journey. If you're faithful, Joseph was faithful. Everything Joseph was given, he didn't think, well, forget this. This is not what I thought. He was faithful with it. And at the right moment, he'd been trained for the thing that God had called him to do. Maybe that's what God's doing with you right now. Maybe you're frustrated because you feel that things aren't working out the way you expected. But maybe God's doing something to you because the thing he's got for you is actually much bigger than what you expected. Okay, I'm going to finish with one, uh, one last thought. And I just need a volunteer. I need someone to give me $10. Who's going to give me $10? I need cash. Okay, thank you. Atika, what's your name? <laughs> Let's welcome Dan to the stage. To Haley. Okay, Helen, hold on. Okay, that's, is that $10? Yeah. Okay, that's $10. Okay, so, I, uh, Haley, I, I'm dead serious about this, okay? I'm going to ask you to give me that $10, okay? So I'm actually going to ask you to consecrate that $10 to me. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay, actually, what I'm going to do is this, okay? <laughs> I want, that's, that's my $10 now, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you can give me that $10. So I want you to keep hold of that $10. I'm going to entrust that $10 to you, okay? And one day, maybe, all right, I may ask you to go to the bank and cash that in for 1,000 cents, okay? 
And every so often, I might call you up and say, I need five cents or I need 10 cents. Now, here's the thing, Haley. If you've not consecrated that to me, you'll think, well, should I give him the five cents or should I give him the 10 cents? But if that's really mine, you'll just go to the bank and give it me, won't you? Don't sound so convinced, does she? Is that my $10? Yeah. Okay, you can keep it for now. Let's give Haley a round of applause. <laughs> to consecrate means to declare something sacred and something dedicated. This evening, I believe God is calling some of you to consecrate your life to Jesus. To say to God, my life is now dedicated and is sacred for your purpose. And God may put a dream, even tonight, God may start putting a dream in your mind. Don't jump to conclusions and wait. Because every so often, he's going to ask you to make choices. And sometimes, you're going to think, what's the point of giving him what he's asked of me when things seem to be going so far away from what I believe God's called me to do? Be faithful. Be faithful. Because as you're faithful, he will do something special. He will train you for a much bigger purpose than you think you've got. Can we just move that away for one second really quickly and quietly, uh, Pat? Um, we're going to do something a little bit odd um, for communion. Um, so we're going to move into communion. So normally um, somebody would come out and they would read something out about the bread uh, and the cup. I just want to tell you something that most Christians don't know about the cup that I think fits well into this. So when Jesus took the Passover, there were, I think it was four different cups of wine that they would drink. Okay? The third cup um, was a special cup of wine. Um, if you remember, sometimes the disciples asked Jesus something, and Jesus said, can you take this cup? Do you remember that? Will you take this cup? Can you drink from this cup? So the third cup, if I remember correctly, it's the third cup. The third cup meant that if you and I, if Rosie and I drink this cup together, we're agreeing to share a common destiny. That's the phrase, a common destiny. In other words, we're agreeing to go on the same walk, on the same journey together, no matter where it leads. We're going to go together. When we take this cup this evening, what we're doing is agreeing to go on the journey that God, Jesus, has called us to. It's the same journey that he went on. We're agreeing to go on the journey with a common destiny of Jesus. Now look what they did to Jesus. But that's what we're doing. When we take this, we're remembering his blood shed for us. And we're saying, I'm going to go on that journey as well. I'm going to go to advance the kingdom of God with you, Jesus. Whatever happens, whatever it means. That's what it means to break bread. So, in a few moments, we're going to break bread. I'm going to let you to do that however you do. You come out, you, you take the bread, and, and you remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. And you'll take a, a, a sip, I guess, from the cup. I've not seen you guys do this before. You'll take a sip from the cup, and you're saying, I remember the blood that was shed for me. But you're also saying, and therefore, I will share. I will go on that journey, and I will share in that common destiny. I will advance the kingdom of God as well. The Bible says it's better not to make a vow than make a vow and break it. It's better not to make a promise to God than make a promise and break it. So I always think that communion is a very serious thing. 
because we're making a promise. We're not just remembering, we're making a promise to God. So in a moment, uh, we're going to uh, worship, I think, or at least play, play some music, and we're going to do this together. Here's one more challenge I want to give people. Maybe there's some of you, and you want to say, you know what? Tonight, I want to truly consecrate my life to God, no matter where it leads. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not. But tonight, I'm going to go beyond just saying I believe in Jesus. I'm going to say to Jesus, I'm going to pursue your kingdom first. I'm going to pursue your purposes before my purpose, no matter where it leads. If that's you tonight, then when you come and take the bread and the wine, I'm going to actually do something really difficult, because there's going to be a lot of difficult things ahead for you if you make that promise. I'm going to ask you to come and to bow here, to kneel here, I should say, and I would love to pray with you for that. It's something I did in my early 20s when I recommitted my life back to God. I said to God, I'm going to consecrate my body as a living sacrifice to you. I'm going to allow you to change the way I think so I will know your will and I'm going to commit to it every step of the way as best I can. If you want to go beyond believing in Jesus to pursuing the dream of Jesus in your life, Come out, take the cup, take the bread, kneel, and we'll pray for you. Okay, let's just close our eyes. And uh, I'm going to ask whoever it is who, who would play in the piano maybe just to come out and just play. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, so in a moment, I'm just going to pray. Then I'm going to ask uh, you just to come out just generally and take uh, the bread and the wine as you normally would do. For those of you who want to respond to the appeal tonight, I would like you just to come and then kneel here and uh, we'll just... Um, I'd like to pray for you guys. I'm going to ask maybe no more musicians, just the keyboard. Is that okay? Thank you, though. Um, just to give everybody an opportunity. So let me pray first of all. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you pursued the Father's dream even to the point of crucifixion. I thank you, Lord, that many of the disciples believed in you, expected you to do something a certain way, and for a time, Lord, they, they, they left you when it didn't go right, but they returned to you. And maybe tonight there are some who were on the path with you. Things haven't gone the way they expected and they've walked away. Lord, I pray for them that they will return and consecrate their lives back to you tonight. Lord, I pray that tonight will be a night where we commit our lives to you and you start to renew our minds so that we can know what your will is for our lives. That we would be truly consecrated to you in the good and the bad. Help us tonight we pray. Remember that you died on the cross for us. You shed your blood for us. Lord, we thank you. Remember your body broken for us, Lord. Help us, we pray, to pursue your dreams. In your name we ask it. Amen.